If you would, turn in the Bible to the book of Malachi. Malachi, that is the final book of the Old Testament. We started back with Hosea many, many months ago, and we have gone through Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and now Malachi. Most of y'all don't have the minor prophets memorized like that in order, because that's the hardest part of learning the books of the Bible. But here we are to the very, very last one. Malachi is four chapters long. We don't know much at all about this prophet. But we do know that it's the final book of the Old Testament. We do know that if you're reading straight through the Bible, it is the last thing that you're going to read before you get to the Gospel of Matthew and therefore the coming and birth of Jesus. We do know that in some ways, if God is going to wrap up the Old Testament, here it is with Malachi. It's really, really good. And God says a lot here. And so uh, we want to, to soak it up. Today we're gonna look at the first five verses. And it's gonna be about God's love. In the bulletin I've got that God's love is questioned. The questioning of God's love. Now, I don't know where you're at or, or how much you think about that, but perhaps you've at least considered before, does God really love us? Is God really loving? Perhaps you've asked, does God really love me? And it's that type of questioning, that type of uh, doubt or concern or perhaps rebellion that we see here in Malachi. Now, I want to remind you that the Old Testament is long. It's quite a bit longer than the New Testament. I mean, if you just lift up your Bible just like that, you see that what's left in the Bible is quite a bit smaller than what we've come through. So the story of the Old Testament is a big one. There's a lot there, right? Remember a long time ago when God created, a long time ago, Adam and Eve, you remember that? You remember the, 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 the flood, Noah, you remember uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, the 12 sons of Jacob, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, and the history of Israel, and the Exodus, and the promised land, and all of that stuff, all of that we've already dealt with in the, in the Old Testament, and now we are where we're at. We're not coming to this book of Malachi thinking we don't know anything about what's happened. We, we know quite a bit. We know what God has done. We know what God's people have done. We know what God has done with his people. We know a lot of their story. And we come to this point where we have this prophet. Remember, a prophet is somebody that gets the message from God and he goes and tells it to the people. And so it's the final one of the Old Testament. Here comes Malachi coming to tell the people something. And it's not just out of nowhere for there's a lot of baggage now with the people. And what we see is them questioning God's love. I'm sure you've had a scene before, you've seen it on a movie, you've seen it on a TV show, perhaps you've experienced it, where a parent and a child are riding in the car or walking out of a store and the kid is absolutely throwing a fit. Perhaps the experience in the store didn't go the way they wanted it to, they asked for yet another toy or another thing and the parent said no this time. And so in, in, in acting out and 
being very upset, the child, unhappy, kind of spoiled like, snaps back at the parent and says, you don't love me. I hope that's never happened to us, but we can at least picture that that happens sometimes, right? And what is it going on in that child's mind that at that moment it would declare to its parent, you don't love me? Well, a very shallow and self-centered way of thinking. Certainly their meaning, you loving me is based off you giving me everything that I want. And certainly their thinking is not considering all of the things that the parent thinks is loving. Now we can go back and forth on whether what the parent thinks is loving or what the kid thinks is loving and if they're on the same page and if they are making them feel loved and if they are feeling loved, we can go through all of that. But what I'm trying to get you to see that when a child says that, what they're thinking is, what I think is love, you're not doing. And what the parent says, what I think is love, you're not understanding. And so there's a misunderstanding there and therefore is a disconnect. It's not good. This is what has happening here in Malachi. But it's not some difficult Friday afternoon leaving Toys R Us, which by the way, Toys R Us shut down so I guess parenting got that much easier now. It's not that. It's a conversation between God Almighty, our Father in heaven, and his chosen, elected family by way of the prophet. Get that. It's not as shallow as, could I get another toy and a snapback where by the time you're, you're home from the toy store, the kid's already apologizing. I shouldn't have said that. It's not that. It's so much bigger. It is God, our Father and Maker, speaking by way of the prophet to his chosen people, his family. And they answer back with that. Read with me in Malachi the first five verses. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Yet I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. God declares here his love for his people And his people aren't sure they believe him. They question it. They doubt it. They disbelieve it. They don't believe it. They answer back to God when he says, I love you. What's it like when somebody says that you love them? Does it get awkward for you and so you immediately just don't say anything? 
When somebody says they love you or do you just kind of quickly without thought answer back, love you too? What if it's a man saying it to a man, what do you do? What if your friend says to you, I love you, man? Appreciate it. Love you too, bro. What do you respond like when somebody says to you they love you, but what you know you shouldn't do is say, yeah, right, how? Sure you do. I don't feel like it. I don't see it. That's not how you respond to somebody who is declaring their love for you. Unless something's seriously wrong. Unless you are in the wrong. And what we have here is God, what he does time and time again, saying and declaring his love for his people, and their first answer back is a question. How, God? How have you loved us? You keep saying you do, but come on. I don't see it, I don't feel it, doesn't look like it. They question his love. Again, this isn't the first page of the Bible. This isn't the first story of how God relates to his people. This is the last book of the Old Testament. In helping us sort through these five verses today, I want to say a few things about God, two things. And I want to say a few things about our response to God's love, three things. Number one, God loves. I don't want you to just hear that real quick and say, yeah, I know he does, and, and you take for granted God's love. I want you to just sit here for a second and kind of just let it soak in that God loves. Perhaps you need to reshape everything that you think about God. Perhaps you, you've been thinking that he's kind of this crystal ball or this eight ball or this kind of uh, a fortune teller. Or perhaps you've been thinking that he's this super far off thing that we really don't know what he thinks. We really don't know what he says. We really don't know how he feels. No, God is a person. He is a personal being. He is the maker and he loves. He loves, he loves, he loves. He feels for us. He cares for us. He works for us. God loves. He describes himself as a father to us. He describes us as his children. God loves. He really does. The Bible says to us over and over again that he loves us. We read John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God in loving us did something about it and gave his son for us, gave his son for us so that he would die in our place. God sacrificed for us to demonstrate his love. And then he follows up 3, 16 by saying, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world might be saved through him. Romans 5.8 would take that type of idea of God giving his son as a sacrifice that we could be saved and says, God demonstrates his own love for us. He shows it or models it in a way. God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God is loving us when we are in rebellion, when we are disobedient, when we are snapping back at him, when we are not in the right place. But perhaps... What's going to be even better to help you understand just this idea that God loves is how he describes it here in 1 John chapter 4. Listen to this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Listen, here's how we know love. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live 
through him. In this is love, verse 10. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. And here is how somebody comes to know and experience and understand love. It is to see and hear and believe that God sending his son to die for us in our place under the judgment of God on the cross for our sins is what we see love looks like. God on his own initiative, God for his own causes has sent himself, his son Jesus to die in our place and that lets us know that he loves us. God loves. When we say God loves, we're not so meaning that he's uh, trying to make everything in your life the way you want it to be. We're not saying that he is a, a rabbit's foot or a good luck charm where he wants everything in your life to be good the way you define it. We're talking so much bigger than that. We're talking what God says God loves. Our maker loves. He is in a position to think well for you, want well for you. He wants you to be happy and content and at peace and joyful and satisfied. And that comes through him. God's purpose, God's way is for him to love and for him to love you. And we see this here. The very first message in the book of Malachi is, says the Lord, I have loved you. God loves. But secondly, most remarkably, he speaks. Perhaps every one of us have wrestled at some point in our lives with a man that we know that struggles to say, I love you. Your dad, your grandpa, your coach, your friend, your buddy, your brother. And as we know in this fallen world, our sinful, prideful selves, men often struggle to say, I love you. The first lines of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, is God Almighty, our Father in heaven, saying to his children, I love you. Men, if you've never done it before, go for it. Go for it. God does it. And he's a better man than all of us. He speaks. God tells us that he loves us. God knows that us hearing him say, I love you, means something. God says he loves us. Think about that. I want to read to you from Deuteronomy 7, you don't have to turn there, where he now starts to talk about why he loves. And this in turn, listen to me, is going to be the answer 
to the whole passage today why people question God's love. Because at the very root, listen, of our sins and our sinful nature, which we all have, is that we are trying, listen, to understand God through us instead of understanding us through God. We're trying to understand God as the way we would think God would be, and so we're trying to understand God's love as the way we would think love should be. And we're failing at it big time. We're really failing at it. We have people all over the place who say, I'm not loved. I don't feel loved. Nobody loves me. I don't love anybody. Let me just ask you, when was the last time you said, I love you? When was the last time you said that to somebody? I don't mean like at the end of a note. I don't mean a text message. When was the last time you put your eyes on somebody and said, hey, I love you? Or when was the last time somebody did that to you? Husband, wife, mom, dad, first day of school just came, I was nervous. When was the last time you said to somebody, I love you? Now, when was the last time you said that to somebody outside of the, of the family? And you can see we kind of struggle with this. We may feel it, but we don't know when or if or how to love. We're not that good at it because we're trying to do it through what we think and we really don't think rightly about it. And God here today is teaching us about love. And his first statement is, he loves, I have loved you. And now I'm pointing out that he says it. So here at Deuteronomy 7, he's gonna start to speak about his love. And here's my point. It's not so much a circumstantial loving them by them seeing that he loves them, but rather them knowing that he loves them. I'm not saying completely altogether ignore the circumstances, but I'm saying bigger, better, and deeper than that is knowing God loves me. And so I'm not understanding his love by the circumstances. I'm understanding his circumstances by his love. Are you listening? That's a huge shift. Imagine how much different your home would be if you stop trying to understand each and every person in the home by the circumstances to see if there's love, but rather started understanding the circumstances by knowing there is love. So God says this in Deuteronomy 7, this is verses six through eight. Again, talking to his people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Listen, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Look at this. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God is not loving them for any reason in them. 
God is not loving us for any reason in us. God loves. He loves us. And now he is saying that he loves. Listen to what this commentator, so right spot on, is saying in light of this. He says, God then might have addressed them this way. I have created you, and I've been to you a kind father, and by my favor does the sun shine on you daily, and the earth produces its fruit. In a word, I hold you bound to me by innumerable benefits. That's how I parent. And I get frustrated. And if I feel like things aren't going right, I try to lash out with me saying all the things I do. I'm tired, man. I've been going all day. I've been doing this for you. And I've been doing that for you. And I've been doing this for you. Wanting that to swing them over to, yeah, you're right. You really do love me. It doesn't really work. God doesn't do that. When they say, how do you love us? God doesn't say, really? I mean, you really want to ask how? You want me to tell you what I've been doing all day? Who bought those clothes for you? Who cooked those meals for you? Who did this for you? Who's running your, God doesn't do that. And he could have. He even says, the commentator says, he even says, I could have gone on and on with the innumerable benefits that I've done for you, but he doesn't. Instead, God refers back so much deeper and perhaps more substantial, and God goes back to, you're from Jacob. You're my chosen people. Back before Jacob or Esau were ever even born, I had chosen a people that I would love, and they will be mine absolutely forever, safe forever. And you and I now know that if anybody is in Christ, he is a part of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's family. If anybody believes, they are a part of the new, true, and spiritual Israel. And so to you, for you to believe in Christ is to mean that you have been adopted into the family of God. And when God is questioned about his love, he doesn't list off all of the things that he does for them. He refers back to his faithful word and promise and commitment and covenant that he loves them. says this, commentator goes on and says, God might have thus spoken to them, but as I have said, his object was to bring forward the gratuitous adoption with which he had favored the seed of Abraham. For it was a less endurable impiety that they had despised so incomparable a favor, inasmuch as God had preferred them to all other nations, not on the ground of their merit or of any other worthiness, but because it pleased God to love them. God loved them. And now God is telling them that he loves them. Another commentator says it like this. In this closing book of the Old Testament, God's electing love toward Israel, sovereign, undeserved, and persistent, is boldly and explicitly reiterated by the Lord himself and illustrated by his choice of Jacob and therefore his offspring. Unconditionally and completely apart from any consideration of human merit, God chose Jacob and his descendants to become his heirs of promise. No one 
should conclude that God does not love his people because he has afflicted them, but rather God loves his people because he chose them. What happens here at the end of our Old Testament is God says he loves them and they question God because, remember what we've been studying through the Minor Prophets, they are now in this kind of disciplined time period where they had been taken over by the Babylonians, they've been exiled out, they're not even in Jerusalem, they don't even have a temple, it doesn't seem like they have a relationship with God, and when it seems like they don't have a relationship with God, they don't really think so much about themselves, they start thinking God's not keeping his promises. And so what God points out here in these first five verses of Malachi is he shifts their focus toward Esau and therefore the the lineage of Esau, which is the Edomites. And he says to them, look, I am against them. They're going to try to build themselves back up and I'm not going to let them. I'm going to be angry against them forever. Don't you know that this is not a judgment condemnation on you people, my people. This is a discipline upon you and I keep my promises. If I told you I loved you, I love you. If I told you I'm going to do something with you, I did. If I told you I was going to discipline you because of your sin, I'm disciplining you because of your sin. But do not mistake that I love you. I love you. And this is what God is saying here in Malachi. And we're really just getting started with the book, but it's already so good. God loves and God speaks about his love. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? And so they question that. And perhaps you're here today thinking, man, I can understand that. And there's some times in my life where I'm I'm wondering, God, where are you? God, are you hearing? Why am I going through this? Why, Why is it so tough for me? Do you really love me, God? And I can understand. And so I said, I wanna give you two thoughts on God's love. He loves and he speaks. And now three thoughts on our response to God's love like we see with them. The first is we doubt God's love. It's not an altogether disbelief. It's not a running far away from it. It's a a staying there. They're still listening. They're now interacting with God's message through the prophet. They haven't altogether turned away. Perhaps the reason why you're here today is a sign that you're not completely 100%. I, I, I don't want anything to do with God. Perhaps you have an ear toward him and an ear away from him. Perhaps you're considering, is it all true? Does he really love? Can he really change my life? Is his grace really greater than all of my sin? Is there really something to this? But there remains some doubt. Perhaps that's where their question comes from. How, how, God, have you loved us? Show me. Doesn't really seem like it. Temple's almost rebuilt We're trying to get back to where it looks like you're keeping your promises, but we're not there yet. It doesn't seem right. And so they doubt. Doubt is a real thing. I want to read to you this snippet from an article that discusses doubt. And it talks about doubt often stems from us not really being focused on the thing we think we're focused on. Listen to me. We, we, we say that we're Christian, but we haven't really been focused on being Christian, right? We, we, we go to church, we haven't really thought too much about being the church. We identify as Christ followers, 
but we haven't necessarily surrendered to be a follower of Christ so that every move we make is based off of what would Jesus do? How would Christ have us navigate this? And so what we're actually doing is we're living the Christian life filled with a lot of doubt, unsure on every single move. I kind of believe, but I'm not so sure I believe. And if I was fully honest, there's doubt all over the place. And in turn, one way to look at that would be that we are going based off how it feels. We're going based off the circumstances. We know that we shouldn't go based off the circumstances. We know that it should be based off the truth and what he says. But as we're going through it, it's the circumstances that's kind of the rudder that goes. And there's how many, many believers are living. And so it sounds a little bit like this. I felt like I counted my family's interests above my own today. I wasn't very selfish today. I felt like I was prioritizing them. And so God does love me because I see me thinking the way God thinks. But then right after that, you have, I didn't experience much joy in the word the past few mornings. I've been reading the Bible. I don't really get anything out of it. So God doesn't really love me. He loves me. He loves me not. I'm happy because I finally shared the gospel with my coworker. I'm gonna tell my church about it next time I'm there. That's what God wants me to do, so he loves me. He must be working in my life. He loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. I was incredibly angry in my heart towards my spouse last night. He loves me not. My heart overflowed today in corporate worship. They sang my favorite song. That's how it's supposed to be. It felt good today to be in worship. He loves me. I didn't feel any warm sensations of his presence during prayer. I'm not even sure if he heard my prayer. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And this is what it means to live a life doubting the love of God. Instead of believing God in his love, you're trying to see if his love for you is true based off the way life feels, and that's just not the way to live. The article goes on to say, this life is utterly exhausting. It may not be legalism, but feelism is just as tyrannical. It is controlling you for the bad. It is messing you up. And you're trying to be a Christian and it's wearing you out. You are thinking that you're Christian and it's not any good for you and so something's gotta give. He says, although it is true that if we have absolutely no subjective experience of God's love ever, we may be most likely are not a child of God, but we must not confuse faith's gaze from the cross to our feelings. If God says he loves us and he demonstrates his love for us through him coming to die on the cross, we should believe he loves us. We should know that he loves us. When your parent, and listen, I know that not all parents are created equal and not all families are the same, but when a loving parent that tells you, we're not getting this toy today, you should understand, they love me. I'll trust them. Now, I know that sounds very uh, perfect worldish, right? But every parent in here knows that's right. When the kid wants to snap because you're not buying yet another thing for them, the proper response should be, my parents love me. 
I know that they do. And they know what's best for me more than I do. I'll trust them. That's what it means to believe and know that you're loved. Now, when you're the parent hearing me, you're like, yep, that's exactly right. But when you're the kid hearing that, you're like, oh, I'm not so sure. And remember, we're all parents and we're all kids. So with God, we are not to doubt that he loves us. He says he loves us. I've read to you this morning four different passages where he says he loves us. We are not to doubt it. We are not to flip-flop on it. We are not to question it. We are not to reject it. We are not to want it to be loved the way our circumstances seem to be showing, but we are to want it to be loved based off of the way he says it, the way he does it, the way he wants us to understand it. He loves us. He keeps his promises. He never fails. Great is his faithfulness. We can trust him. So one way that we respond to God's love is by doubting it. Second way that we respond to God's love is by not believing it. It's really kind of hard to tell where the people of Israel are in this. Perhaps it's a doubt, and that's why they're questioning. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's an absolute disbelief. It's a little bit of both. Disbelief here is one more of a scary one. It's one where the, 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 the parent-child relationship is way more splintered than we'd like to admit. It's one where the parent knows that child's slipping away. They're about long gone. And so when they say you don't love me, it's not a, you'll snap out of it by the time we get home. It's a, something's deeply, deeply wrong. We don't believe it when God says, I love you. And this, folks, is at the very core of what the Bible would say is sin. We do not believe God. Because God loves us. And if you don't believe it, it doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means you don't believe him. And if it's coming down to who knows best, who knows most, who's right here? The God that says he loves me or the person that says, no, you don't? Who's right? And when you hear me saying it, perhaps you're thinking right now, well, God is. But when you're at home thinking it with all your doubt and disbelief in your heart, you need to be able to tell yourself, I'm wrong. These thoughts are wrong. These feelings are wrong. And you need to run to the cross. You need to get on your knees. You need to snap the TV off. And you need to say, Father, you love me. Help me to not, not believe. Help my unbelief. Father, help me to see Christ crucified. How deep the Father's love for me Help me, God, because me not believing that you love me is foolish. It's ridiculous to think that God does not love you, and people are out here thinking that. They don't believe. Back to 1 John, where he is talking about love. I've already read from chapter 4. He describes it like this, because he's all about love in 1 John. In 1 John chapter 2, here's what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen, the love of the Father is not in him. 
so we can see that our not believing God is demonstrated in what we love. And what we love is demonstrating whether we're believing that his love is in us, that he loves us. Martin Luther says, listen, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent in the garden that we cannot trust the love and grace of Jesus Christ and that we must take matters into our own hands. The deepest, the realest sin is when we start saying, I don't know if I can fully believe God. I want to. I kind of like it when I go to church and hear some about it. I kind of want to, but I don't know if I can go all in and put all my chips in on God being trustworthy and believable. And so we end up not believing. So when God says he loves us, we can doubt him. We can doubt his love. When God says he loves us, we can just not believe him, which is even worse. Or thirdly, lastly, we can believe. We can say, you're right. I believe you. You love me, God. We can feel our hearts receive his love. We can repent of our sins. We can believe. We can turn to him. We can trust. We can say, God loves me. C.S. Lewis says, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good. We do not think that way. But that God will make us good because he loves us. If the truth that we are sure of is that he loves us in Christ, that love for us will truly shape everything. And just a real simple piece of application on that, it means If God loves me, my identity is secure. I don't need you to love me for me to know that I'm loved. God, my maker, loves me. My sins are forgiven in Christ. And if God loves me and I believe that, then the Bible teaches that that will start to produce a love in me. Therefore, my security or identity is not wrapped in all of those that like me and all those that don't like me, all those that speak well of me and all those that don't speak well of me, all those that think that I'm nice and all those that think that I'm rude. That is that flip-flop, wishy-washy, circumstantial, desiring to understand the love of God. And God says, that's not it. Now, we do have a lot of preachers in the world trying to teach you to understand love of God through circumstances, but they're dead wrong, way wrong, way off. God wants you to know that he loves you and you can see it fully, beautifully in the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. If that is true and it happened, then you are loved. And you need to take that to the bank. You need to believe that. You need to trust that. Augustine says it like this. In loving me, you made me lovable. God loves It's a special thing. This week as I was getting kids back to school and doing all that, I 
I feel like I talk about this all the time, but I'm gonna do it again. I got emotional again in thinking about my parents and childhood and aging. And that led me to thinking about understanding right now more than I ever have that my parents love me. Now, I thought they loved me when we were playing ball when I was 10 years old. And I thought they loved me when they were coming to all my games when I was a teenager. And I, I, I knew that they loved me when they were teaching me all the hard things about life. But I understand right now more than I ever have that they love me. So I wrote this to my mom and dad. I'm older than my parents were when they were raising me. And from this view with heart and eyes, I can start to see. See my life and how it is compared to how it was and how they gave their all for me, a reflection of how God does. The love and sacrifice with admittedly some holes, not hoping for success stories, but hoping for their souls. People who are growing fast, feelings and emotions, countless dreams, hopes and wishes, prayers to fill the ocean. This view is crystal clear at times, rather foggy sometimes too, but I find myself, for, but I find myself referencing back to being daily loved by you. How'd you do it, what's the key? My heart really needs to know. And these five kids are in a sprint with still so much for me to show. And I'm afraid it's not so simple and for that I am so grateful that you two were such great parents in all the ways you have been faithful. I'm older than you guys were when you were raising me. And God is still, still, yes, still, using you two to bless me. And the older I get, and the older they get, the more obvious it is to me that they love me. And they haven't bought me a toy in a long time. But they do. And it would be so wrong of me then, and it would be so wrong of me now to not know and not believe that they love me. Now, it's, 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 it's far from it. But if I were to say or act or live, like, do you really love me, Mom and Dad? Don't you think that would be so wrong, so out of place? And none of that's circumstantial. God loves us. He does. If you're not sure of it, then are you doubting it? Are you not believing it? Or will you believe it? Will you? God says that when you come to believe he loves you, 
You will repent of your sins and trust in Christ. You will turn to him. That it is the very heart of his children to be moving toward his love. First John would say it later like this. We love God because he first loved us. God, you love me. And now that I see how much you love me, I love you back. I want to love you back. You know, when you're in school or college or youth ministry or something like that, people sometimes will ask you to write a letter to your parents. You sit there as a teenager thinking, thank you so much for running me back to school and back all the time, you know. And, and, And really you just think about it circumstantially. But at some point, Lord willing, you get to the point where you just say, thank you for loving me. And that means so much. They understand. You understand. And so it is in the one true religion. And so it is according to the truth by the power of the Spirit that you and I have come to know God loves us. He is for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when you believe that, your heart loves him back. Father in heaven, thank you for the beginning to the book of Malachi. Thank you, Father, for God's Words, his speaking, his expressing that he loves them. And Father, thank you for the big opportunity for us to look at how they've handled it. Father, may we respond to your love, not with doubt or with disbelief, but by faith. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you've never responded to the love of God or you need to respond to the love of God or you've never gone public with saying, I want to love him back, would you do that now? Would you commit here this afternoon, right now, to say, I want to believe in the love of God. I want to trust in Christ. I want to be forgiven of my sins. If you've never responded that way publicly, then you can do that now. If you're here today and you've never been baptized but you need to be and want to be and you wanna move in that direction, then you can make that decision now. And if you're here today and you want to be a part of a church, a church that believes the Bible, that wants to emphasize the love of God, and wants to do it together, then you can do that now. As we sing this final song, let's trust in the love of God. Let's turn our hearts towards the love of God. And if you need to respond, we can do that now. Let's sing.